All right. So we have made our way to point C of unit one of the parables of Jesus. And unit one is the purpose of parables. So, so far we've talked about why Jesus spoke in parables and the fact that a parable is like a proverb. It actually is a synonymous term in Hebrew. And so we want to look into, there are different types of proverbs, and that means there are different types of parables. But one thing that is unique about a parable is that a parable, in contrast to other forms of speech, usually only has one main point. That's really important. And we'll talk about different forms of speech and how people throughout history have sometimes caught, you know, their interpretation has gone wild with all these crazy ideas of what Jesus is talking about because they miss out on the fact that a proverb is a form of speech that has one main point. And how do we know that it has one main point? Because usually Jesus will conclude the proverb by saying, therefore. So he tells the proverb, he pulls all the pieces together, and then he says, therefore, this is the point. This is the point. And he socks it to you. Or he'll say, truly, truly. Or if you're a King James type, then he'll say, verily, verily, I say unto you. Right? He's saying, this is the point. I told you the parable. Now, this is the message. There's one main point in each parable, no matter what type of parable it might be. So let's look at the different types. One type of a parable is it's called similitude. So you're saying that something is like something else in order to highlight aspects of it and drive home that one main point. So for example, you this will be familiar to you. Jesus has many parables where he says the kingdom of heaven is like Okay, so that is a parable with similitude. The kingdom of heaven is like, and he goes on to explain and give the parable. Another type of parable or proverb is contrast. So to juxtapose something that is opposite or two opposite things, put them side by side, again, in order to drive home one main point. So an example of this would be the parable of the two sons. One son obeys, the other son does not. Jesus is driving home one point. Another example would be the wicked servants and the faithful servants. They are told in the same parable, right? So the wicked and the faithful servants are contrasted side by side so that we get that rub between, okay, which one do you want to be? Do you want to be the wicked servant or the faithful servant? Jesus is driving home one main point using contrast to do it. Another form is pairing. So instead of a contrast, pairing is saying the same thing, but saying it two different ways. Again, to drive home one main point. So an example of this would be the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven or yeast. Those two are always told side by side, always told side by side. Why? Because telling them together, saying the same thing in two different ways, drives home the point that something small grows into something big. Another example of this would be the parable of the new cloth or the new garment, the old garment and the new garment, the new wineskin and the old wineskin. Those two are always told side by side. Always. Why? Because telling the same thing in two different ways communicates the one point that you cannot mix the old with the new. 
All right. So another form of speech for parables or proverbs would be climactic. So in a climactic, you know, parable or proverb, there's a series of parables or a series of proverbs that are given together in sequence, but they are leading to and driving home, you guessed it, one main point. So it climaxes. It's, It's starting you off small. It builds a little bit on it, and then it drives home the one point. There's a climax in the series. They're told in sequence for a reason. This is why I've said before, we don't want to just pull the parables apart one by one, because what if you're pulling a parable out and you're making your conclusion, but that happens to be the middle parable in a climactic series? Well, that means that you haven't yet hit the climax of the the one point that is being expressed through the series of parables that are told together. So an example of this would be the very familiar ones from Luke 15. Now, I've heard very, very few people acknowledge that these three parables are actually one. They are actually one. They are told in a sequence on purpose. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, or you would know it as the prodigal son. Those are told in sequence together because they are growing in value. There's one point being expressed about the value of a human life in the sight of God. Another example of this would be the fact that the parable of the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, and the dragnet are all told together in a sequence. The sequence drives home the point that the kingdom of God will include those who weren't looking for it and found it, those who were searching for it and found it, and because it's like a net that's cast all over the world. It's available to all people equally, and we'll dig more into that in a future unit. I'm excited to get into that, but I want you to see those are told in a series, in a sequence, because they're driving home one ultimate point. Another form of speech for a parable or a proverb is comparative. So things like it is better or how much more. So it's a comparative form of speech, comparing things which seem different or valuing one thing over another. Again, you guessed it, to drive home one main point. So like in Proverbs, it says it's better to live on the corner of a roof than it is to live with a quarrelsome wife. Okay, it's better. So the the author of Proverbs, is valuing that higher. It's better, you know, I don't want to live on the corner of a roof. It's cold and rainy out there. But living with a quarrelsome wife, it's better than that. But Jesus said, it is better for you to enter into eternal life with your hand or your foot or your eye cut off or gouged out than it is to have all of your members and be cast into eternal fire. You know, so, hey, you you think that chopping your hand off and gouging your eye out, you think that's bad. Well, it's better than being cast into eternal fire forever. All right. Another example is if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts or give the Holy Spirit? So again, it's comparative. It is better. How much more? You're putting two things side by side to value them or draw out the value of what is being communicated. Uh, And lastly here, we have a story, a parable in the form of a story. So a story would be a more lengthy discourse, but again, it's it has one 
ultimate point that is trying to convey to the hearers. It is often told against the hearer, but because it's told in the form of a story, it's not received or perceived as a direct accusation. So like, for example, in the Old Testament, Nathan came to King David after David had sinned with Bathsheba and then had Uriah killed on the battlefield. Nathan came and told a story about a poor man and a rich man and the rich man took the poor man's only lamb and killed it. And David was enraged when he heard this parable, when he heard this proverb being told to him. But then Nathan said, you are that man. And David was crushed to discover his sin and recognize that he had sinned against God and he knew it immediately. But Nathan initially went in and told him a parable to rebuke him. Well, Jesus did the same thing. So the parable of the laborers in the vineyard was prompted by Peter saying, well, what do we get? Now, this was after the rich young ruler had gone away sad. And Peter said, we've left everything to follow. You. What, what are we going to get for following you? And then Jesus tells the parable of the laborers in the vineyard that everyone's going to get the same pay at the end of the day. Whether you've been working all day, you get a denarius, or whether you just got hired in the last hour, you're getting a denarius. Jesus is saying, don't begrudge my generosity. Okay, don't don't misunderstand that. Like, don't think that you've done something awesome by leaving everything to follow me. I'm the one who's being generous here. And don't begrudge me how I want to share my generosity with people. And he says the first will be last and the last will be first. But so Jesus is telling the story in response to a specific statement, a specific question. Another example of this would be the parable of the tenants. Jesus tells this in response to religious leaders challenging his authority. He tells the parable to express to them that their authority is being revoked because they have not produced righteous fruit for the kingdom of God. So again, he's rebuking the people that he's speaking to. They have asked a question. They have challenged him, and he's responding in the form of a story, which if they have have ears to hear, which this one they did. They did perceive that he was speaking against them. And then, well, they sought to kill him. So it's better that Jesus spoke in a story than he said, well, I'm here to take away your authority because you haven't been producing fruit. You know, instead, he told it in the form of a story about tenants that were evil and not producing fruit. So that's just another form of speech of why Jesus was speaking in parables and how parables are a unique form of speech. But I hope that you're getting, I said it multiple times, that a parable has one driving main point. And we'll talk more about that in a second. So we're moving into point D, which is contrasting parables with other forms of metaphoric speech. Okay, so this is important for, again, for accurately interpreting and understanding Jesus' parables, why he spoke this way, how he was not speaking in other ways, that the parable is a very specific form of speech that Jesus was using in a very deliberate manner. So we're going to contrast that now to other ways of speaking metaphorically so that we don't get confused when we go to read the parables for ourselves and hear the parables for ourselves. So we'll contrast a parable in contrast to 
an allegory or a type or a shadow. So biblical allegory is when we recognize, and this is stated in the New Testament a couple of times, that many things from the Old Testament, the things of the Old Testament, are a type or a shadow of what has been fulfilled for us in Christ. So by definition, an allegory is a story, a poem, a picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral or a political one. So when it's pointing to Jesus, it's not uh, revealing a moral or a political one. It's revealing God in the person of Jesus. But that definition was from the dictionary. So I just want to be clear. But in allegory, there are abstract concepts that are typically personified or symbolized as characters or places or things. So, for example, in this way of looking at the Old Testament, Jesus is the greater Adam, the one who did not sin and fall away. Jesus is the greater Abel, the one who offered a right sacrifice and then shed his blood for it by his angry brother. Jesus is the greater Moses, the prophet of God who was sent into the world. So you start to see that Jesus is throughout the Old Testament, the tabernacle, all the elements of the tabernacle point to the work of Jesus. And people can go on and on and on and on looking for all of these allegorical meetings in the Old Testament, and there is some value in that. But uh, to keep focused, another example of an allegory, if you're familiar with the Pilgrim's Progress, right? So the Pilgrim's Progress, one of the things that's so great about it is that the guy's name, the main character, is Christian Pilgrim. Okay, like, Okay, that's pretty obvious. Christian Pilgrim. We know who he is. And then you've got people like Worldly Wiseman. So you know that he's got the wisdom of this world, right? So it's an allegory. It's a story that's being told. And every character and place and setting has its own meaning, its own symbolic meaning that is worked into it. So there are examples where Jesus or the New Covenant writers use allegory, but parables are different from allegory. So let's look at those examples. So one example is Jesus used allegory from the Old Testament, from an Old Testament story to point to himself as the ultimate and eternal fulfillment. So he said to Nicodemus, who would have known the Old Testament very, very well, this is from John 3, 14, as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, the son of man must be lifted up. He's using the Old Testament story of when Moses made a bronze snake and lifted it up on a pole, and people, all they had to do was look at the serpent on the pole and believe, and then they would be healed from the fiery serpents that were biting them. And Jesus is saying, I am that. The Son of Man is going to be lifted up like the snake on a pole. He's using allegory from the Old Testament to say, I am the fulfillment of that. And all people have to do is look to me on the pole, on the cross, lift it up and believe, and they will be healed from that fiery serpent that's been biting them all of these years. It's the gospel. Hallelujah. So another example would be in the book of John. John the Baptist uses allegory. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John is using allegory to point to Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice offering for sin, fulfilling the requirement of the law of Moses. So did Jesus walk up saying, bah, 
No, he didn't. He wasn't dressed like a lamb. But John is putting the allegory together. He's using the metaphor that Jesus is the Lamb of God, that Jesus is the one who is going to take away the sins of the world. Hallelujah. Paul also uses allegory as a form of speech, particularly in the book of Galatians. He uses allegory and even calls it allegory to describe the freedom that we have in Christ. Now, in this, he uses the story of contrasting Hagar and Sarah, the slave girl and the wife of uh, Abraham. So Hagar was Sarah's slave girl. Sarah was Abraham's wife. And Sarah hatched this plan that, you know, Hagar should have a son by Abraham. And that was Ishmael. But then Sarah had Isaac. And Paul uses this as an allegory for those who are born of the flesh as opposed to those who are born by the promise. So allegory is a valid form of speech, but an allegory is not the same thing as a proverb. And I don't want you to get those confused. Here's why. Allegories have can have multiple elements, multiple elements which can be symbolic or have significance, like Hagar represented something, Sarah represented something, Ishmael represented something, Isaac represented something. So multiple elements have symbolic significance. But in parables, it's always about driving home one main point. If you over-scrutinize all of the various elements and characters and places and things of a parable, you're going to wind up with some funky interpretation that is not what Jesus was talking about at all. Unfortunately, this has happened many, many times throughout church history where they have interpreted parables as allegories. Eh, that's going to wind you up with some really polluted interpretations because you, by doing that, you divert yourself from the simple, simple reading, childlike reading of the parable. And by doing that, you wind up disregarding Jesus' intention of the one main point that he was driving home. So that's why it is helpful when a parable ends with, therefore, I say to you, or truly, truly, I say to you, or verily, verily, I say to you, because Jesus is like, let me wrap this up for you and tell you what my point is. So Jesus, he oftentimes includes that, sometimes he doesn't, but he is always driving toward one main point for each parable that he is telling. Let me give you an example of how interpreting a parable as allegory can go very wrongly and wind up very far away from Jesus' original intent. So second century theologian Origen, he had an allegorical interpretation of much of scripture, but let's just focus right now on his interpretation of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay, so in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Origen said that uh, the beaten man uh, was signifying Adam who had fallen because of sin, and that the priest who passed the beaten man by represented the law. And the Levite represented the prophets, and the donkey represented Jesus Christ's physical body, which bore our sins, because the, the beaten man was then, by the Good Samaritan, put on top of the donkey. So you see, this starts to get kind of crazy. So the the 
the donkey is Christ, and then the beaten man is put on top of the donkey, who is Christ, and the Samaritan signified Jesus' sacrifice and what he did for us. I'm sorry, that's just like way too convoluted for me. Jesus said, become like a child. That's just all kinds of messed up. So Jesus, when he told the parable, he told the parable with a singular purpose. Why? Because someone had asked him. A lawyer had asked him, who is my neighbor? A lawyer looking for a loophole to justify himself. He said, well, okay, so who's my neighbor? So then Jesus responded to the question, who is my neighbor, by telling a story. What did we just learn? Oftentimes, when Jesus is responding to a specific question in the form of a story, he's doing it as a rebuke. Well, Jesus, thankfully, he concluded the parable of the Good Samaritan with his own question in return. So he was he was answering the question, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, and then he says, all right, you're so smart. Which one of these ones was the neighbor? And then when the the man gave the response, the one who showed mercy, Jesus gave the point of the parable, which is this, you go and do likewise. Do you see it? How turning all of the different elements into something, like all of a sudden you're creating the parable into an allegory and you're way far away from which one was a neighbor, the one who showed mercy, you go and do likewise. Jesus was very clear about the point of this. Origin, not so clear about the point of this. So just be careful about not turning a parable into an allegory. It's a different form of speech, and that's important for us to understand. All right, so we also want to contrast a parable versus an illustration. So an illustration, by definition, is a comparison or example intended for explanation or corroboration, the act or process of illuminating, the act of clarifying or explaining. Illustrations are used by teachers and preachers very commonly, but it's their attempt to help people understand what they are saying, to aid them in understanding the teaching. Well, the problem is Jesus, when he was speaking in a parable, he was not using an illustration. So an illustration would be, let's just keep using the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let's say a preacher or teacher was talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan, and then they started saying, you know, the other day I was going to the store, and on my way to the store, I saw this homeless man who had no money, and he was really a mess, and he was smelly and stinky, and he he had nothing, and he was begging for food. Well, I brought him into the store with me and gave him something to eat and bought him everything that he needed. So that's an illustration of, look at me, I just did the parable of the Good Samaritan. See, that's an illustration. I just taught you what this parable is, and the point is that it's to go and show mercy. Well, so now the illustration is, I went and did what this parable says. The problem is, Jesus was not speaking in illustrations. Parables and illustrations are not the same thing. How do we know? Because Jesus clearly stated, as we talked about in the last class, that he was using parables not to aid understanding. That was not his intent. He was not speaking in illustrations. He was speaking in parables so that people would not 
understand him. An illustration is trying to help people understand, but a parable is often told as a rebuke or preventing people from understanding because it's hidden. It needs to be revealed. It is something that is a mystery that needs to be revealed, and only those with eyes and ears can see and hear and perceive in their hearts what the point is. So Jesus spoke in parables a lot, but he didn't really use illustrations the way that teachers and preachers today do. There's nothing wrong with illustrations, okay? I'm not attacking illustrations, but I'm trying to clarify that an illustration and a parable are two different metaphoric forms of speech. The other thing about a parable as a communication tool is that the context leading up to and the conclusion of the parable is highly significant to understanding the one main point that Jesus is driving home by telling these parables. So one thing is Jesus often gave the parable as a response to a specific question. So when he was being asked, the example is, what is the greatest commandment? Or who is my neighbor? These were answered by Jesus telling the story of the good Samaritan that we just talked about, right? Jesus also gave parables in the context of his own teaching on a specific subject. So when he was teaching, the last will be first and the first will be last, it led him into telling the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, which also concluded with the same statement, the last will be first and the first will be last. So you've got to understand what the context is coming into the parable that he tells, and then also why he's giving that final phrase to tie it all together and drive home the main point. He's putting the other bookend on it so that we've got a beginning and an end to the story so that we can understand what he's trying to say, that one main point. And we also talked about how the main point, the final or concluding line of the parable. Sometimes he ends it with verily, verily, or truly I say to you. Sometimes he doesn't. But whether he does or doesn't, the final point, the concluding line of the parable is very key to understanding his intended implication, his intended message of the parable as a whole. This is important, particularly for the longer parables that have different characters in them or different concepts that are introduced. Remember, he's he's painting the picture for you, but he has one point that he's talking about. And so it's important to look at this as a form of speech, not confuse it with other forms of speech so that we're not doing what people have done in centuries past and and coming up with all these crazy interpretations of Jesus saying things that Jesus was never actually talking about. He's trying to be as clear as he possibly can be, even while using this metaphoric form of speech. So I hope that gives you a little bit more clarity of what parables are, what different types of parables are, and how parables are different than other forms of metaphoric speech. (music) 